Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Psalm chapter 8. We're going to be looking at Psalm 8 today. It's printed there in the back of your bulletin in the New Living, uh, New International Version. As we're making our march towards our, our great, you know, the Super Bowl for pastors, Easter Sunday, um, we're looking at different psalms that teach us about the songs of redemption, the songs of salvation, the songs we get to sing back to God about what He has done for us. And before we read Psalm 8, I wanted to give you just a little bit more liturgy, just to show respect for God's Word. After I read Psalm 8, I'm going to say, because it is, I'm going to say that this is God's Word, and I have it printed there, Thanks be to you, O God. So that might be a little new for you, but we wanted to make sure we sow into this. When you come in here to this place, we want you to be able to pray God's word and sing God's word and hear God's word proclaimed to you through preaching. When we do the sacraments of baptism or the Lord's Supper, we want you to see God's word. And I want to send you out in a benediction. The last thing you hear, Latin, bene, good, Dictos, word, a good word given to you from Scripture. So we want you to know that your life grounded at Parkway is grounded on God's word. So after we read this psalm, we'll show just God how grateful we are for that. But let me just, uh, one preliminary note. The psalms are not initially or primarily about you. So as you read the Psalms in your own personal study, please put two little speed bumps in your way before you make it about you. It's for you, but the Psalms are not about you. The Psalms were first for the servant of the covenant. The servant of the covenant sings this song to God. And then the king of the covenant We sing it back to God as the king of the covenant. And then, thirdly, we can see how we fit in in response to this psalm. Jesus is the servant of the covenant. This psalm is not about you, and none of them ever will be. So if you ever read a psalm as a checklist of things that you better do, you fail. That's kind of why we're given the psalms, to see why we fail and how we fail. And how Jesus was the servant of this psalm. And then he is the king of this psalm. That we get to sing this psalm back to him. We see how he sang it. Then we sing it back to him as the king of the psalm who completed it. And then in response, as members of the covenant, we participate in this psalm. Does that make sense? So don't think that this psalm has to be about you or it's a checklist for you. It's glorious, but it's sung by the servant of the covenant, sung to the king of the covenant, and then we sing it back to him as participants in the covenant. With that being said, let's look at Psalm 8. We'll read verses 1 through 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. 
to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open the eyes of our heart. Let us see the servant of this psalm who sang it himself for your glory and our good. Let us see the king of this psalm who we get to sing it back to him with all of our lives who accomplished our redemption. And Father, let us see this psalm as participants in this covenant of this great servant king who has offered this psalm to us as good news. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, you know, I have a son, 13, a daughter, 10, a daughter, 6, and then we have our foster child who's 8 months. And there's something about being a hashtag girl dad that you get pretty brave. And there was a festival that we were at. One of the churches in our area had a festival with floaties and it was a fall festival, so you could get a marshmallow and roast it. You could get your face painted, you know, one of those kind of things. And I saw my daughter, my 10-year-old, she was standing by herself wearing a mask. Well, one of the big deals at this festival was being able to get a special mask. You know, you could get the squirrel or the monkey or the lion or the cricket. And I had worked really hard to make sure that she got the monkey. She wanted the monkey. It was really cute. I remember standing in line to get get the right mask because it had to be kind of this random game you had to play. And I got her the monkey. But she was wearing the cricket mask. Standing alone in this long line for this slide down, you know, one of the jumpy houses. I said, Lily, why are you wearing the cricket mask? It's fine, Dad. It's fine. It's fine. I said, no, no, no. I got you the monkey mask. Where's the... Where's the cricket mask? Why are you wearing the cricket? It's fine. I said, no, it's not fine. What, why are you wearing the cricket mask? She said, it's the mask of shame. I said, what? Well, Becky and Susie asked me to stay in line, and they wanted to go get roasted marshmallows, and they were taking a long time, and so I wanted to go check on them, and I, I lost our place in line, and so they said I had to wear the cricket mask as the mask of shame. I said, what? (laughs) I said, give me that mask. And I put it on. And I grabbed Lily's hand and we walked to the marshmallow pit. And there's Becky and Susie. And Becky, names have been changed to protect the (laughs) non-innocent. Becky looks at Lily and says, with me holding her hand. Lily, where's the mask of shame? I went, 
over my face, I said, I'm wearing it. You do not put a mask of shame on my daughter. Because you will not have to wear a mask of shame. I will not let you let my daughter wear a mask of shame. I will bear the mask of shame for her. You do not give out masks of shame. I need you girls to go wait in line because I'm going to roast a marshmallow with my daughter. And they said, yes, sir. And they went and they waited in line. I don't know what it is about us that we love to make others wear masks of shame. Others step out of line and we need somebody to wear a mask. This psalm tells us that God sent one to wear our mask. And not only just wear the mask, to sit down and roast marshmallows with us too. Psalm 8 tells us some pretty incredible things about who God is. We get to see how great He is. This God who comes into our world to wear the masks of shame. We have a great God. That's what the first thing that we learn from this psalm. Verses 1 through 3 tells us how great this God is. That was a great moment for me as a dad. Yay, dad. I'm nothing compared to the great God who comes. Look, verse 1 through 3 tells us how majestic is your name in all the earth. 1b says, you, David, is talking about God here. You have set your glory in the heavens. God's glory is secure. It's not contingent or dependent. That's how great God is first. Sort of like a, a child in a cookie jar. You set the cookies way above out of their reach. There's nothing you and I can do that will diminish God's glory. Don't think that God's kind of sitting up there in heaven like cheering you on like, I hope you bring glory to my name. I, I hope you're good because I need you. God needs nothing from you. His glory has been set out of your reach. It doesn't depend on you. It's not contingent upon you. He doesn't need you to show up and pray well and be diligent and be a good Christian or vote correctly. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from you. And because he doesn't need anything from us, that makes him trustworthy. He's not going to manipulate us. He's not going to shame us. He's not going to poke us in the eye and say, you get back in line. You wear this mask. You let everybody know how bad you are. He's not going to make us grovel. He's not going to push our face in the dirt. He's not going to bully us. His glory is secure. He has set his glory. Isn't that good news? Secondly, he's set his glory in the heavens. Imagine little David, the shepherd boy, putting his hands behind his head. The sheep have now rested at night in the middle of the ancient Near East where only firelight that carries about five feet up and 
looking up at the stars. Imagine what he saw in that beautiful night sky. He had a connection with how big God was. Imagine the Milky Way, if it was our Milky Way galaxy. Imagine if that was the size of North America, our continent. Then our solar system, so the galaxy is North America, then our solar system where our planet Earth revolves around the sun would be a coffee cup. And then our little Earth would be not even the size of a a coffee ground. It would be a flick of dust inside the coffee cup. The Milky Way galaxy is one of 100 billion galaxies. If the distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is 93 million miles, I'm taking that on faith, I don't know. I I haven't traveled. But the scientists who look, if that was the thickness of this piece of paper, from there to there was 93 million miles. You follow me? Then the distance between the Earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. This is the earth to the sun. The earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 70 feet high. And the distance between the earth and the end of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And it says God made the stars with his finger. Just his finger. The immensity of the universe that we inhabit and God rules it. He made it with his finger. The works of his hand. His glory has been set out of our reach that He doesn't depend on us for anything. And the galaxies that are unexplorable to the human mind and ever ever expanding, God made it with His finger. This is a great God. And when David looks up at the stars, he says, you are so great. You're so great, but so surprising. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. This great, immense, glorious, secure God surprises us by including us. What is man? You use the praises of the vulnerable baby to fight the avenger, the wicked ones. This world... God, as David looks at the psalm, this world is full of trouble and evil. And you use the praise, the songs of babbling babies. That's 
how do you use the cries of the vulnerable to defeat evil? How in the world? So surprising that God uses the praise of the weak and the wounded and the sick and the sore. God uses our praises. God uses our praises to advance His glory in the world. You know, the question is, this great and God, glorious God, who has invited you into a relationship with Him, whether you know it or not, as your Creator, I don't have to ask, do you have a relationship with God? You all do. Youngest to oldest. You have a relationship with this God. But is He your consultant or your king? Is he your Uber driver or your Uber Lord? Does he just kind of come when you call? The God who made the stars with a flick of his finger. Is he your butler? Hey, fix me, get me out of this. Help me get a good grade on the test. Help Aunt Myrtle and her broken toe. Is that? Do you glorify and honor God with the immensity of your prayers of what you're asking him for? Or do you just sort of wait? Hey God, yo, help here. What's the delay, bro? No, he has invited you through the praises of infants. God has established a stronghold against his own enemies. We are dependent like babies on this great God. There's also a great care. This is so great. Verses 8, 4 through 8, tell us about the great care of God. Zakar, what is man that you are mindful of him? See that in verse 4? What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Zakar, remember. That's the word for remember. Remember me, Lord. And what is man that you're mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. Pakat. It's actually, if you uh, read the uh, authorized or the King James, oftentimes I do, just to see how it's, you visit, visit, visiteth us, that you care for us, you visit us. You know, we, I see how big you are. Why do we fill your mind? Why do you come and visit us? You are so immense. And the immensity of a God who's created galaxies upon galaxies. People like us fill his mind. You fill God's mind. You do. I don't think you know that. You feel pretty forgettable. Ignorable. Psalm 8 says, you fill the mind of God. He thinks about you. That's almost too good to be true. In marriages where we feel forgotten, in relationships with our kids and our parents, where we watch literally their mind go in dementia and Alzheimer's, or we never really felt like we measured up, there was, we were the forgotten child. All around us is a world where we feel like we're kind of like, Hey, somebody look at me, please. And no one pays us any attention. 
Psalm 8 says, God is mindful of you. He zakars you. He remembers you. And he visits you. This maker is mindful of us. What Jonathan Edwards, a, a great Puritan in the early part of the establishing of our country, Encyclopedia Britannica calls Jonathan Edwards one of the greatest American minds of all time, considers this word about how you, with his finger, the works of your hands, you use your finger when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, that you've set them in place, that you're mindful of man. When Jonathan Edwards looks at a world made by God's finger, he says, God is an artist. So this God who creates galaxies, who fills his mind with thoughts of us, who cares to visit us, to come near to us, to see us standing in line wearing masks of shame with no roasted marshmallows and no friend, who comes near to us to care for us, is an artist who made us. You have been made by an artist who loves you. You will not get that anywhere else. You kind of absorb that in kind of American, Instagrammable culture like, you're great, you're wonderful. That's not available in our culture. They're borrowing from Psalm 8, but disconnecting from God the Creator, Ruler, Majestic One. Stephen Jay Gould, a paleontologist at Harvard, says this. You can't find what we have in Psalm 8. Here's what Harvard paleontologist says. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. Because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age, we may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, listen to this, the gymnastics he does right here, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. Listen, we must construct these answers for ourselves from our own wisdom and ethical sense. Good luck with that, right? How's that working out for you? I'll tell you how it's working out. Reminded Michael said this on Sunday about Toy Story 4, about Forky. Samuel Beckett, a grand American playwright, you can look it up on YouTube, has a, a play called Trash. It's 35 seconds. I'll tell it to you. It, I'll probably take longer explaining it than the actual play. You go into a grand theater. It's black. The curtains part. You hear a baby cry. The lights begin to come up, and you see on the stage garbage. You hear an inhale, an exhale, a gurgle of death, and then the lights go out. 
That's what you are without the God of Psalm 8. You are trash. Figure out your own meaning as you are. Gather all you can. Good luck with that. As if it mattered anyway when the sun burns up. No one will remember you or remember anything about remembering you. And then they call us as justice or poor, caring for the poor. That's devastating. And this God says, you fill my mind. I made you as an artist. I love you. I made your body. I picked out your moles. I counted how many hairs are on your head. I told them how long they were going to stay on your head. I picked out when you were going to get zits. I picked out the shape and curve. I want you to be you. I made you. I know how gray your hair is. I love it. All parts of it. I know your fingers and your fingernails. And I, I know how thin your lips are, are or how thick your gums are. I love it. I made you. I'm the creator of you. I made you with my finger. There's nothing about you that I wouldn't change, God says. Your skin color. The shape of your nose. Your eye color. What's failing about you. What's thriving about you. This artist says, you display my glory. Down syndrome children, display my glory. Cerebral palsy displays my glory. You can't walk. You barely breathe. You're on oxygen. Displaying God's glory, the weakest, the most vulnerable, God says, I've set my glory on you. You fill my mind. I made you. I'm demonstrating how glorious I am through you. I've set my image on you. No matter what classes you qualify for, or what college you get into, or what sport you play, you, I made you. I love you. I set my image on you. This mindful maker is this secure and surprising God. So that gives us this great response. First, consider. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens. (laughs) David takes time to consider. Will you please take time to consider? Come with us on Sunday morning. Come be here. Prioritize this. No matter how cold it is or how many hours you miss on a clock. Continue to gather with us and invite others to this place where we get to consider. We're not gonna, I'm not going to compete with you two. We can't win. We, we're going to lose. If it's about trying to be entertaining or we're not. This is awkward and intrusive. And we sat down and we stood up and I sh- should have told Michael I want everybody to stand. Like it, it just kind of stumbles. That's the pilgrim's journey. Where we always get to look beyond me or beyond our elders or beyond this building or beyond the sound system of like, please be reliable. Please be one thing in my life that's reliable. Please be something that's consistent because I'm so terrible. No, no, God's reliable. Beyond sound systems and pastors and musical arrangements and whether or not you stand down, right? Consider this God. Would you take time to consider it? How awkward was that silence? I, I like literally had to start counting in my head. I started sweating, and I was in charge of it. 
Because I wanted you all to feel the weight of silence. Considering silence. That's what we've been given. Time to stare at the immensity of the majestic God who is secure in the heavens and who made us. What's interesting about that word, mindful, that we fill his mind and that he cares for us, he visits us. Did you know that uh, Zechariah in Luke 1, when he's finally, his tongue is loosed, remember he doesn't believe God, he considers God, but he considers what God is doing impossible in bringing salvation, remember? His tongue gets tied up until he's going to say, my son's name is John, and God, God's trustworthy, he's secure, he's amazing. So it took him a little bit of time, but Zechariah, he says this in chapter 1, verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited us and redeemed us. When Zechariah considers that Emmanuel became man, God with us. God came, as it were, into the line where we're standing wearing the mask of shame because we are not glorious in and of ourselves. We do not clearly reflect the glory of God. We do not consider Him. We have not just been created with glory, we've fallen in sin and wickedness and rebellion. We've looked at this God and we say, get here, Uber driver. How dare you make me wait? I am the king of this universe. You made it and you serve me. We looked at this king and we said that he better serve us. And he did. He came not to judge, but to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, put on a robe, a towel around his waist, got down on his hands and knees and served and visited and cared for his disciples, washing their filthy feet. Jesus Christ, this King of glory, came to serve. Consider that. Reflect on that. Fill your mind with the thoughts of a God who would fill his mind with thoughts of you. And what's interesting is when Jesus in Matthew 21, in his triumphal entry entry in Palm Sunday, when he enters in in Matthew 21, all the Pharisees are looking like, what do you do? All these kids are crying out, Hosanna, save us now. You better shut those kids up. Jesus says this, he says, When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear these children, what they're saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. The children were crying out to Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the glorious one. We must take up this biblical mandate to rule as we have been ruled. We don't just pray for our leaders that they would have wisdom. We pray for our leaders that they would repent 
hit the ground and become worshipers of Jesus Christ. We want, we don't want just peace with North Korea. We want revival. We don't just want our justices to give us what we want in the Supreme Court so that our economy can continue to go forward. We want the path of however, whatever means necessary, that we could demonstrate that Jesus Christ is King in Acts 4 and 5 and 6 as persecution continued to increase the people of God never claimed that it would stop. They never prayed for it. They never asked for it. Please, God, help us. Help it to stop. They said, help us to continue to talk about Jesus, the resurrected King. They wanted any opportunity, every opportunity, to say, my hope is in Christ. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. My hope is not my 401k. My hope is not in the distribution of medicine from, from China. My hope is not in the next election cycle. My hope is in Christ. My hope is the resurrection. My hope is the maker who has set his heavens so securely that I cannot even diminish them. That's a God that I can trust, who's not manipulating me or using me or waiting on me. He's coming in. He's bringing salvation. This is the God that we have. This is the God of Parkway. This is the God of Psalm 8. He has set his glory in the heavens. And we must rule like him. If you're a manager, you rule like a God who has loved you. You take your sales team and you rule with dignity and compassion and glory. If you're a coach, you coach, you rule like he set, look at this, he set all the flocks and herds and animals and birds gently, strongly, kindly, wisely. This God who has loved you and ruled you, you rule that way. Your family, and you're changing diapers and putting back to bed and reading the story of Elmo on the potty one last time. How many times do we have to put this kid, this little Elmo, thank you everybody, like, like, great. I will rule because I've been ruled. I will love these kids. I will love these students. I will love these customers. I will love these animals. I will love this garden. I will rule. I will do what I've been asked to do by a God who has given me everything in Christ. He came into the world to bear my mask of shame, the cries of the vulnerable. There was no one more vulnerable than Jesus Christ on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his cry as the vulnerable one brought salvation. His cry as the vulnerable one established a stronghold against his enemies and ours to silence our foes in the avenger. Jesus Christ fulfills this psalm for us and invites us to participate in this good, glorious thing. You've been made by God. You've fallen and rebelled against this God, and he's redeemed you. And now he comes to you and says, no one makes you wear a mask of shame because I wore it for you. I've set my glory in the heavens and I fill my mind with you and I visit you, not in judgment, but in redemption. 
live that way, love that way, rule that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Psalm 8. Would you fill our mind with the thoughts of a God who fills his mind with us? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be yours, to be loved by you and cared for by you. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together for this song of response?